Amen. Well, welcome, welcome once again, Super Bowl Sunday. I see y'all got some jerseys on, and um, <clears throat> I decided to wear the only jersey that matters because this guy decides who's going to win or lose, whether you know it or not. This is the man right here. He, he, he gets to decide who's going to win or lose this game tonight. So, and he does, he's probably the least paid, you know? So things aren't always what they appear to be, right? So I guess tonight I have to root for the San Francisco 49ers. Right, a couple of you out there, I don't, I don't know. You know it's bad when a Cincinnati Bengals fan roots for the San Francisco 49ers. You know it's bad <laughs> right now. I, I'm going to throw my challenge flag. <laughs> I'm going to throw my, my penalty flag. And I'm just going to say, come on, Brock Purdy, you born-again, Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled Christian. Get out there anointed by God and do your thing, man. Yeah, come on, somebody. Uh, open, <laughs> open your Bibles now to the book of 1 Samuel, book of 1 Samuel. I want to talk this morning, as the Lord will allow me to do so, I want to talk a little bit about the life of David and some challenges that he faced, and sometimes we can also uh, relate to them in our lives today. Some of the things that David did to conquer and to overcome, some of the things that David did and why God anointed this man to be king of Israel. As a matter of fact, when Jesus Christ returns, he says he's coming to return to sit on the throne of David. Think about that for just a moment. This guy is just not an ordinary guy. He was the second king of Israel following King Saul, and he was anointed by God. Somebody said, well, <clears throat> what is the anointing? What does it mean to be anointed? Anointing means that there's something outside of you helping you. There's something outside of your abilities that's going to enable you. There's something outside of all of your capabilities that's going to enable you to be capable of what you are called to do. The anointing of God, the Holy Ghost of God. The Bible says in John that he that believeth upon me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He says in 1 John 2 and 2.27, he says, you are anointed. You have an unction. It's from the Holy One. It's not just for the preacher. It's not for the people that sing. It's not for the people that get to stand on a platform and bloviate half the time. It's for every Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled believer that calls on the name of the Lord. God is not a respecter of persons, but he does respect his principles and his words. So you don't have any reason to compare yourself with somebody else. You are the best you that you can be. No one can be you. And you are distinct. You are separated by God for an eternal purpose. He has a calling on your life. And everyone's calling is not the same. And when we stand before God, it's not going to be, well, yeah, well, you're going to get, you're going to get a big reward because you did big things, or you're going to get a little reward because you did little things. No, you're going to stand before God and God's going to give you an equal reward because you were faithful to that which he gave you. So you don't have to compete with anybody else. You don't have to stand and say, well, I wish I could be such and such or do this or that. No, you just do you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you do you. you, do you. 
Yeah, just do, do you, and you will succeed and overcome. This story here in 1 Samuel chapter 30, it's a story about King David. He was already anointed king uh, of the uh, uh, kingdom, but uh, he wasn't in full control yet. Um, Saul was still doing some crazy stuff, and God was still raising up David, and he was training him up and training up his mighty men. But David was out going forth into battle, slaying his God's enemies. And it says here in verse 1, And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire. Verse 2, And he had taken the women captive that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were all taken captive. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices, and they wept until they had no more power to weep. Who? And David's two wives were taken captive. Yeah, you can tell me what that name is, and you can tell me what that name is. And Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his son and for his daughter. And David encouraged himself in the Lord. And verse 7, and David said to Abathar the priest, Amalek's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought thither the ephod of David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. Father, I just pray this morning that every person under the sound of my voice can see a little snippet of their own life, and they can gather hope, God, from the story of David, that they can take with them, Father God, that when you are with them, no enemy can stop them, that they are going to be able to pursue, overtake, and without fail, recover all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Okay, so here we have David. David was, you remember David as a boy. Uh, he, he started out, he was, he was the youngest of his big brothers, and I was the youngest of two older sisters. Any, any youngest in the family here this morning? Youngest in the family. Okay, so yeah, David was the youngest, and so God had a plan for David. But David didn't know what the plan was, and his dad didn't know what the plan was. And David, um, when Samuel, who was the prophet over all of Israel, and Samuel was the man. I mean, they feared when Samuel came to town. As a matter of fact, this is what God said about Samuel. Samuel, not one of the words that you speak will fall to the ground void. 
empty. Whatever you say, it's going to happen. I mean, Samuel carried some weight. He was a great prophet of God. And God called Samuel, said, get yourself a cruise of oil, go into the city, and I want you to anoint the next king. Saul had already disappointed God. Saul was already on the down, uh, was going down. He already disobeyed the Lord, but God was raising up somebody after his own heart. As a matter of fact, when God spoke to Samuel about David, he said, I want you to anoint David because David is a man after my own heart. David loved God. So what was David doing? Samuel came into town. He was out in the field. He was out in the shepherd's field. He was taking care of his daddy's flock. And so here comes Samuel, and here comes all of David's big muscular brothers. I mean, they're big, they're stout, they're charismatic, they got that chin, they got that broad, you know, jawline. I mean, they're just, they're just these men, you know. And, and Samuel comes, hey, I want to anoint one of your sons to be king. And all these older brothers pass before Samuel, and Samuel said, it's none of these do you have another? I mean, this kid, David, who was out in the field, who was a brother and a son of Jesse, uh, one of the sons to which was called to be anointed by God, David, Jesse, his daddy didn't even invite him to the party. I mean, he got overlooked. Listen, young man, young woman, sometimes you might get overlooked. Sometimes uh, people might be thinking about you one way, but God's thinking about you a whole nother way. Uh, some people might be thinking, you don't have a future, but God says, I got a future for for you. Just, just hold on. Just be faithful in what you're doing. I've got you covered. There's something coming your way. I've got an anointing specifically for you. I got a path for you to walk in that no one else can walk in. I'm going to do things for you that uh, would absolutely blow your mind. If I told you, if I showed you, you wouldn't even believe it in your own heart. I've got a plan for you. But here's David out into the shepherd field, just tending the flock and his own daddy overlooked him, didn't even invite him to the party. So when someone else is overlooking you, listen, God has his eyes on you. Don't feel like you're being overlooked by God. Men might overlook you, but when God makes a way for you, no man can stop you. The Bible says that he will open up a door for you that no man can shut, and he'll shut doors that no man can open. If the Lord is on your side, and let me just tell you this morning, the Lord is on your side. You're not alone. He is with you. He is on your side. He's not mad at you. He doesn't disdain you. He's not overlooking you. But the world might be saying one thing. Your own parents might be saying one thing one thing. Oh, he's just like his daddy. He never going to amount to nothing. All the jibber jabber, you know, speaking out of a hurt heart and broken heart. Those things happen. I'm not discarding those things. And I'm not saying those things and those issues are not real. But when you come to Christ and you get God on your side, you're more than capable of overcoming every situation that's ever happened in your family. I get it. I came from a broken home. I was crazy. My, my family was crazy. I, I understand all that. I, I know what it's like not to grow up with a dad's influence. I I know what it's like not to know how to even become a man because I didn't have an example of a man to be able to become a man, right? It's a real thing. How do you act and how do you become a man? What does a man do? What does a man look like? Well, let me just tell you this real, real fast. Whatever the world tells you it takes to be a man or a woman, it's a lie. They're lying to you. It's not about all you get all you can and can all you can get. It, it's not about uh, your body count. It's not about, uh, you know, the, the rising to the top of, of your clique or your, your social sphere of influence. It's not about all that. If you want to become a man or a woman of God, it's all about involving Christ in your life and pursuing after him. And we'll get there in just a moment. So 
David got overlooked, but when he brought David in from the field, here's David, and Samuel said, this is the guy. He was ruddy. He was red hair. He was scraggly looking. He was just that guy. And, and he came in, but he had a heart after God, and he, he poured the cruise of oil, and he anointed him. And what did David do after he was declared anointed king over Israel? Did he just stand up and say, hey, I've arrived. I'm here. No, he went right back out to the field, tending the flock, tending the sheep, showed shows his humility and shows that, hey, this ain't about me. I didn't anoint myself. If God is making a way, he's going to have to open up the doors. He's going to have to make the way. I can't force this thing to happen. I can't make it happen. And when you walk with God, you got to understand, you can't bargain with God. You, you can't manipulate God. You can't treat him like some kind of vending machine and put your quarter in and just push a button and expect to get your Diet Pepsi whenever you want it. This isn't a Burger King world. You can't have it your way. If you're on God's side, you got to be willing to walk and do things the way that he wants you to walk and do things the way that he wants you to do them because he's got a specific plan and a timing and a purpose for your total victory and the accomplishment of the assignment that he has for you in this life. You are planned by God. And so David was anointed and you know David had had this had this thing about um, just just submitting and doing his thing. He was a worshiper. He was out on the hills of the Judean hillside, stringed up all that cat gut and began to play the harp. He wrote psalms and he wrote he wrote poems and he sang to the Lord. He was a worshiper. I mean David was a very different kind of person. I mean one moment he's playing his harp running the demons away from Saul. The next moment David's taking out a rock and a sling and, and plugging the head of Goliath and cutting his head off. I mean, David was a very interesting person, but he was very passionate. He was passionate about God. He was a passionate about getting the things of God accomplished in his life. And that's where you have to be today. You've got to be passionate about something. You just can't kind of nonchalantly take life on and say, what am I going to be? How's this going to work out? What am I going to do? No, you've got to find out what it is God has for you and get passionate about it. Get hungry for it. I'm pursuing. I'm passionate. I want this thing to happen. What I was passionate about at the age of 22, I was passionate about finding out what God had for my life. Very passionate. And so this isn't a hard thing. It's not so, well, I'm just, what's the will of God? I'm just kind of groping in the darkness. What does God want me to do? And how do I figure this thing out? I just don't, it's just too big. I don't even know how to read the Bible. I don't know anything. Hey, listen, first things first. All you got to do is first things first. What does that mean? That means after you give your life to Christ, what does he ask and what does it require you to do? Some of the simple things, some of the first things that I did, I heard in the Bible that it says that we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves as in the manner of some have, even the more they see the day of God approaching, the return of Christ approaching. What does that mean? I just knew I had to go to church. I had to be around people that believed what I believed. I had to hang out with people that, that spoke the language of God. I didn't understand the language, I got, so I had to get around people that spoke the language of God. Talk to God, developing that relationship. Oh, I, I read the Bible. Hey, you, you, you got to be baptized. God wants me to be baptized. I, got, I was saved and born again in the beauty salon. Then I heard, wait a minute, Jesus said, uh, uh, he that believeth on me shall be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I said, hey, I'm, I'm in. When's the next baptism? I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized into the kingdom of God. And I learned out what baptism meant. I mean, this is really the simplicity of the gospel. If you are on a pursuit for God and you're not willing to start 
start at the first things first, you're going to keep taking a bunch of these little bunny trails, a bunch of these little detours. You got it one week and it's gone the next. You got it this month and it's gone the next. You're just going to be just groping around trying to figure it out. You haven't totally surrendered yet and said, hey, wait a minute. I want to do it God's way. What is the simplistic way that God has for me to, to find the path and the calling that he has for my life. So I just did that, man. People thought I was crazy. I don't know, what's going on with Jimmy? He goes to church like three times a week. What's the matter with him? He goes to prayer meetings. He's hanging out with these people that pray in this crazy language. I don't know. These, these people are crazy. They go to church and they, they, they clap and they dance around in their stocking feet and they jump up and down and they, they shout at child. What, what is this? What is this thing? I, I don't understand. But one thing I can't deny they're all happy. They're, they're all singing. They're all clapping. Something's going on there. There's real good positive energy there. These people seem like they're victorious and some of them are driving beautiful cars and some of them, their cars are being held together with Christian bumper stickers, but it didn't matter. Uh, they, some were sitting next to, rich were sitting next to the poor and the black were sitting next to white and, and it was just, it was amazing. It was just a wonderful thing. What is this thing we call the fellowship of the saints? What is this thing we call church? What's this thing really all about? When I was coming up, I used to think, well, well, church, I went to, I went to a mass one time. I think it was a Christian mass at a Methodist church. And, and it was, they had a lot of pomp and circumstance and ceremony, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't meet God there. I, I, God, I'm not saying he wasn't there, but if he was there, I didn't recognize him. That's all I'm saying. I mean, God came and got me in a beauty salon. I don't have anything against any church out there that's doing the best they can do for God. But listen, when God's in the house, there's movement. We sang about it this morning. This is a move. When God's in the house, things are happening. People that come in that are brokenhearted leave with a healed heart. People that come in abound and afflicted and addicted have chains wrapped around them that they can't set themselves free from. They walk out those doors and they've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit of God and they're liberated and set free. I mean, truly, God is alive. He's just not some religious ceremony and total acts of piety no he is a living god what does that mean that means he's alive where is it? where is he at the bible says that jesus is at the right hand of the father but two thousand years ago on the day of pentecost he sent his spirit that filled them all the holy ghost is available right now for everybody he wants to anoint you with his Holy Ghost and fire and power. He told John the Baptist, said, listen, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who will truly indeed baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. That's what I, I just caught on fire. I was just burning for Jesus. You said, well, why was it? Why was you so on fire? I, I'm just going to tell you right now, one minute I was blind, the next minute I could see. One minute I was bound to drugs, the next minute I was free. One minute I was filled with guilt and shame. The next moment I was filled with clean, cleanness and righteousness and hope. One day I was filled with death and despair and suicidal thoughts. The next day I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to wake up in the morning, man. Life was alive to me. The flowers, I could see their colors in the sky. I could, I could see the, the, the beauty of it and the mountains and the majestic of God's creation was just a, a wonder to me at once. And I wasn't so wrapped up and, and confined in my own mind and trapped in this world that I 
despise and I, I couldn't control and, and, and all of my insecurities and, and all of my questions that I couldn't get answered and, and looking in all kinds of directions trying to find purpose and hope. It was just gone. But man, when Jesus came into my life and I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I caught on fire for God. I mean, I was on fire for God. I mean, just on fire. No man could do that for me. My daddy couldn't do it for me. My mama couldn't do it for me. All my girlfriends couldn't do it for me. Nobody could do for me what Jesus did for me, including giving me hope for living and a reason for tomorrow. Not only that, nobody could die on a cross for me. No one could sacrifice their life for me. No one could shed their blood for me and bring meaning of eternal significance. Only Jesus could do that because his blood was innocent. Death had no right to him. That's why it couldn't hold him in the grave. He said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he that believeth upon me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Hey, I found out that my greatest enemy was defeated already. I was afraid to die. I was afraid to get up. I was afraid to live. I was afraid I was afraid to make a move. By the end of the thing, I was so paranoid. I was living life with such paranoia. I didn't know if today was going to be my last day on the earth. I was just confined inside of this bubble of despair and anxiety and panic and worry and fear. I'd done so many things wrong. I was laden with guilt and shame. I, I, and I didn't even know why I felt that way. I mean, if there is no God, why feel anything if there is no God. Why be convicted about anything? I mean, if there is no God, I mean, it's a dog-eat-dog world. I'm going to climb the ladder, and whoever's head I got to step on to get to the top, I'm going to step on them, and why should I care how they feel about it? I'm going to take what I can and get everything that I can. This is, a, this is a, a world of the survival of the strongest, and who cares what anyone else thinks? I mean, this is the only life that we have, and there is no God, and there is no judgment. Why do I feel anything at all? Why do I care? Why do I feel dirty about doing certain things? Why do I feel guilty about doing certain things? There is a conscience of in man that always desires to side with truth. You know right from wrong. And it's not because your mama and daddy told you so. There's a conscience on the inside of you that says, man, that just that's not right. That's not, that's not holy. That's not righteous. There's got to be something far above and beyond this thing. And so when I came to God and he took away the guilt and the shame... And he took my place, and I realized that he defeated the greatest enemy that I have to face myself, and that is the enemy of death. Man, I mean, is there anyone, is there any other team that you'd like to root for? Whose side are you on? What team do you want to root for? And man, I started learning about the Bible, and I looked into to this word, and my whole life was in this book. It was amazing to me. Every feeling that I ever had, every fear that I ever faced, every guilt, every un unforgiveness, everything. This, I'm like, oh my gosh, my life is in this book. Somebody knows more about me than I know about myself. Well, yeah. It's your maker. It's your creator. And then I realized and I found out inside of this book that I've got an enemy too. There's an enemy of humanity. There's something, there's an entity out there that has a great conspiracy that absolutely hates humanity, hates God's creation, hates God's children, hates the human race, hates God's human family. We, we, I've got an enemy out there that would love to kill, steal, and destroy and to stop me from achieving everything God has for me. I have an enemy out there that would love 
nothing more than to see me fail and to see me fall and to see me uh, be laid left for dead at the side of a road. There's an enemy out there. The Bible says that Satan, like a roaring lion, roams to and fro, seeking to see those whom he may devour. Listen, he wants to devour you and he will try to stop you, but when you got God on your side, the gates of hell can't even prevail against you. I mean, Satan has to bow his knee to the name of Jesus when it's uttered over the lips of the faithful, when it's uttered over the lips of those that believe in God, those that are anointed by the Holy Ghost that stand up in authority and declare a thing and speak the word of God. Demons themselves have to tremble. Listen, when I wake up in the morning, the devil's in a phone booth calling 911. It's an emergency, baby. He's met his match. God lives on the inside of me. The Holy Ghost lives on the inside of me. I have the authority of God's word on the inside of me. I declare a thing like God would declare a thing. I speak a thing like God would speak a thing. And when I pray, things happen. When I pray, mountains move. When I pray, God begins to move on my behalf. When I pray, the literal angels begin to be dispatched in my favor. When I pray for on my knees, mountains begin to move. Come on, you've got power with God. You're not of this kingdom. You're of an unseen kingdom. And when you speak words of God, those words go into that unseen kingdom and they begin to move the hand of God. Somebody say amen. Isn't God good? Get on fire for the Lord. This is no time to be out there being tantalized by the things of the world. The things of the world are to be used for your for the purpose of God in his kingdom. It, it's not that you can't be blessed. It's not that you can't do this or do that. But listen, you just got to know, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things are just add-ons. The most important thing is having the kingdom of God build up in your heart and let Jesus sit upon that throne. You know, it's interesting. There's a story in the Bible that talks about when God brought the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. I think it's kind of funny. And Moses stood before Pharaoh and he said, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Let my people go. And, and today it's almost like we got to go to the people and tell the people, people, let Pharaoh go. <laughs> I mean, it's not anymore, God, let, get me out of here. No, it's people, let it go. Let Pharaoh go. Let the world go. Let loose of that thing. Quit trying to hold the world with one hand and the kingdom of God in the other hand and think that you're going to have any sense of peace in your life. Let Pharaoh go. Pharaoh is of the world. He's not of God, and he does not have your best interest at heart. You need to rise right under the nose of Pharaoh as a man or a woman of God. You just, I mentioned it earlier. Think about the Brock Purdy's and the C.J. Strauss just being raised up right under the nose of Las Vegas and the right under the nose of those that control the world and those that manipulate the world. And every time they go, I got to thank Jesus Christ, my Savior, before I thank anybody because he's the only reason that I'm here and he gave me this platform and he is God. Think of the pressure that a man like that with that kind of platform. I mean, you, most people, most Christians can't even say that uh, to their best friend. A lot of kids can't even stand up against their own peers. This young man stands up in front of the whole world. I don't care what you think of me. I know who got me here. I know why I'm alive. I know who I am. 
And I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God on the salvation for all those that believe. It's time for God's people to stand up and live a shame-free life. I am not ashamed. I live shame-free. I know who I am without him, and I know who I am with him. And he is God. Hallelujah. The devil will take you back anytime you want to go. I know strong Christians who, who served the Lord for years and prayed in tongues and laid hands on people and spoke with microphones and, and just stood up declaring the works of the Lord. And life hit them while they were on the platform. And instead of standing up and enduring and taking accountability for their own lack and calling on the name of the Lord, they go back to the ways of the devil. They go back to the ways of the world. They just throw in the towel. This is too hard for me. I can't do this. It seems like the whole world is against us. Really? Ask Jesus. He'll tell you. He knows what that feels like. This is a guy that went about doing nothing but good. Healing people. Laying hands on people. Feeding hungry people. Raising up dead people. Didn't do anything wrong. Curing all the diseases. Anointed by God. And what they do, they killed him for it. If you think that they're going to love you that hated him, you are sadly mistaken. The Bible says to be the friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. I'm here in this world as a sojourner. I'm here as an ambassador for God. I'm here anointed by the Holy Ghost of God, standing up in the light of God, the energy of God, the unction of God to declare the works of God, to bring about the purposes of God, because I'm smart enough to realize no matter how well I eat and how much I work out, nobody gets out of here alive. So I got to find out, I, I got to live for something bigger than what this life can produce. I got to live for something that's lasting longer than my 60, 70, 80 years on this planet. I got to tap into something a little bit bigger and a little bit more significant and a little bit more eternal, because I, the only people that I ever seen in a funeral party Lady laying in a casket are people that are not here anymore. And one day the, uh, the, I'll find myself in the same place and people crying over my casket and looking at me, wanting to touch me and say, baby, I'm going to miss you. I'm going to miss you. Six months later, I will, they won't be thinking about me anymore. Maybe a year. Yeah. <laughs> But your, but your widow will get remarried. Your widow will get remarried. Your kids will find happiness. And they will find life. And you will be fertilizer for daisies. Right? So there's got to be something more. I've got to tap into something greater. I got to get beyond everything that this world could ever offer me and tap into something that goes far beyond. I got to store up for myself treasures that are not of this world where moth and rust do eat and corrupt. How can I rise up in the midst of a darkened world, in the midst of a kingdom that I'm not of, and rise up and be a shining light like a city on a hill declaring the works of God, going about changing the lives and the hearts of the despair and the hurting and the hopeless, going about and helping Helping people that are broken and downtrodden, addicted and afflicted. My joy is 
not the joy of standing up here and being able to preach with a microphone or sing with with a piano. That's not the joys of Christianity. Oh, that's just a little bit of whipped cream on top. The joy of Christianity is knowing that the message that you're spreading, the words that you're speaking are helping hurting, broken, lost people. Helping people that are sitting in darkness and groping around and wondering the existence of life. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? I've got your answer. You that have the answer that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead should be so excited that you know something that most of the world does not even know. That the light of God has been shed abroad in your heart and now with the love and the power of the Holy Ghost you are obligated to do the same thing. I can't let anybody that comes into my sphere of influence not know that Jesus is alive and there's hope beyond the scope of your human limitations and that there is life beyond the grave and there is a purpose by which you are here. It's going to be all right. Let me tell somebody. Let me help somebody. Let me pull you up out of the muck and the mire and the grave. Let me pull you out of your hopelessness, your depression, and your despair. Are you willing? Will you let me? Will you let the Word of God penetrate your heart? Will you let the Word of God and the Holy Ghost bring about enough conviction where you say, man, I don't want it my way anymore. I can't do it by myself anymore. I've learned that this journey is too hard for me and I can't do it by myself. I need something beyond myself to accomplish and to become everything that God's called me to do and to be and become. You got this. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got this? Yeah. David. David anointed by God. Okay, so here's this guy anointed by God. He killed Goliath, and now he's got a few mighty men with him. He's got some men that he trained up in the cave of Abdullah. That's a whole nother story, but these are mighty men. And David's out slaying the adversary, and his wife and his kids are at home in Ziglag. And so David's out doing what he thinks God wants him to do. He's out slaying his enemies, slaying, slaying the Philistines, the unrighteous, the, the, the devil worshipers, the baby killers, the Baal worshipers, the barbarians. He's out slaying the Nephilim. He's taking care of business. He's taking care of Goliath's other brothers. And that he did. But now he comes back to his home and he's riding up over the hills. Got his 600 men with him, these great mighty men. If you look at the mighty feats and the deeds of these mighty men, it will just blow your mind the things that they were able to accomplish through the power of God. And they're riding up and they see on the hillside smoke coming from their city. I mean, think about it. If you were, you were, you were out in some other city and you, you were doing something for God and you, you, you came home and you see smoke coming from your neighborhood and you get closer and all of a sudden you see it's smoke coming from your own house and all your valuables and all your possessions and everything that you own and everything that you hold dear, all your memories, all your trinkets, all, everything that you, that you have just gone up in smoke. And not only that, your whole family is no longer there. You're your children aren't there. Your wives aren't there. Your grandbabies aren't there. Somebody burned your house and kidnapped your family. And not only yours, but everyone else that you're leading. The whole town. And they come up and they ride up over the hill. Everything's gone and everything's burnt. And it was so bad, they wept until they had no more energy to give to their defeat. 
So there's, there's a word in that. Sometimes you got to get to a place where you got no more energy to give to your defeat. I got no more energy to give to that addiction. I've got no more energy to give, give to that, that loss. I've got no more. I can't weep no more. I've got nothing, nothing left. These are men. These are great men. These are mighty men. These are men that don't weep. When I was growing up as a man, I was taught, you know, you don't cry. You're a man. You, you, you can't cry. You can't weep. You can't show emotion. You know, men, men are faced with great challenges today. You know, if my wife ever asked me how I'm doing and I say not so well, a big old red flag better go, <laughs> better go up because men just don't easily give that up. Men don't tell you. Men, men, don't, men don't let loose their, their, the burden that they carry. I don't tell my wife and my kids every day the burden that I carry and how heavy it is. They don't even know. Men don't, men don't divulge that kind of stuff. They just get up and grind it out. Just go out and do your thing. You don't want to burden anybody with your burdens because you're a man. But if a man ever comes and you ever ask a man how he's doing, he says not so well, you better go talk to him. Open him up. These men were not doing well. These men were weeping. They had no more to give. So they had a bright idea at the end in the exhaustion of their last tear. They said, I know what we'll do. Let's kill our leader. <laughs> I mean, they were that despair. They were in that much despair. Let's kill David. They wanted to pick up stones, and they wanted to take him out. They wanted to kill him. I can't imagine how David must have felt. He had his own burden, his own wives, his own children were gone. Not only the wives and the children of all of his mighty men, he's got his own burden. His heart's broken for himself. Now he's carrying the burden. His heart's broken. He's the leader. Now he bears the burden of leadership, the responsibility of leadership. So what's taking place all falls on him. Can you imagine the weight of that? Not just his own family. I'm a leader of these men, and I've led them to this despair. I've let this happen. How didn't I see this coming? How didn't I know what was taking place? I told these men, we're going to go out and slay God's enemy, and we're going to come back with the spoils, and we're going to party with our family. This is going to be great. I mean, they were already battle fatigued. They were already exhausted, only to come home to another battle. And whatever they had left, they left in weeping without any energy for another tear. These men were spent. Great men. Mighty men. Men of valor. God's chosen men. So if you ever find yourself without another tear to weep and you have no more energy to give to your loss, oh, I think David gives us a great playbook leadership rises listen young people there's never been a greater time in human history in the history of this country where there's such a great void of leadership 
And not just in this country, but in the church. There's a great void of leadership in the church. People that are committed to the cause of Christ that want to live a life of integrity and character and stand up and speak the truth, even if some people don't like it and walk out. People that will stay and hold fast to the scripture, regardless of what people feel about it. People that will not allow the culture to change the way that they deliver the word of God, but they deliver it with faith and hope and passion and power. They speak what God says to speak, and they let God deal with the results. Jesus knew himself. There was words that he would say that many of his own disciples wouldn't follow him anymore if he said it. But nonetheless, you got to speak the truth. The truth hurts. The truth will make you mad. The truth will offend you. The truth will make you leave. The truth will bring you back. And the truth will set you free. Hold to the truth of God. So here they are. And what does David do? David says, first thing he tells the priest, Abathar, he says, hey, uh, this ain't a time for a sword. This isn't a time for a, a battle strategy. This is a time where I need to inquire after God. Bring me the ephod. I've got to talk to God. I got to get the mind of God. What does God say about this situation? And as David, you can put your own name in there. Go get your ephod and seek God. And what does God say about your situation? What will God say about will God? If you go to God with your problem, are you, you think for one moment God's going to say, well, it's hopeless. You think for one moment God's going to say, oh, just give up on it. You think for one moment God's going to say, well, that you get what you deserve. That's what you get. You think for one moment God's just going to turn his back and say, deal with it on your own. You're by yourself. Good luck with that. I beg to differ. I serve a God that answers prayer. I serve a God that gives me peace that surpasses my ability to even understand what's going on. I serve a God that gives me joy in the midst of my sorrow. I serve a God that will give me hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. There's nothing that you're facing right now that God will not, if you will go to him with your ephod. And when you're out of strength, you don't have any more strength to give to this defeat. What do you mean? This is wit's end, man. I can do nothing else. I've done everything that I can do. I've served you the way that you want me to serve you. I'm out defeating your enemies. I'm raising and training up men. I'm doing everything that you want me to do. You've anointed me to live this life. And now this has happened. Kid going rogue, a broken relationship, a family situation, financial situation. Just put, insert your issue where you just don't have anything left to give to it. I can't beat this addiction on my own. I can't beat this lust on my own. I can't, I can't stop the, with my mind the way that it wants to think, and I know it's not God's word. I, I, I can't do it anymore. David had no more strength to give to this defeat. Are you out of strength? Are you out of energy? Have you finally decided I can't fix it? There's nothing that I can do. I've done everything that I can. And now people want to kill me for it. Now I'm being criticized for it. Now all of a sudden it's my fault. I didn't do this. It's not my fault, but they're blaming me for it. 
Maybe you're blaming yourself. I did this myself. It was from when I was a kid. It, it, was a, it was something that I did to somebody else. I sowed those rotten seeds and now I'm reaping the whirlwind. I, maybe it's my fault. Everybody wants to blame you now. You're laying no more energy to give to it. Can I tell you, you're right where you need to be. Get your linen ephod, that priestly garment, and go minister to the Lord. Shut out your iPhone. Shut out your iPad. Turn off your Netflix. Get off your social media. Turn it all off. Get off your Game Boy. Turn it off. Just push it aside. Don't take your... Don't take your iPhone into your prayer closet with you. Because as soon as you get there, someone's going to be texting you. You're going to get some alert. You're going to be feasting on that little dopamine hit that lasts for about 30 seconds. And you, you, will, you will not see God put it away. I don't have to have that. I don't have to have that right now. I don't need that in my life. I've had all that I need. I've got all that that I want. And still, I'm none the better. I'm, tech, I'm savvy on tech. I've got a lot of followers on TikTok. I've got, oh, I'm just, but why, am I, am I, why do I feel this way? Why am I so defeated? He grabbed his linen ephod. He took his cell phone and put it out. And he got rid of all of his extra stuff, and he went to minister to the Lord. And he's standing before the Lord. Lord, what should I do about this situation? What do you want from me? Now, that's a dangerous question to ask God. Because it doesn't always come with the answer that you expect, doesn't always come with the answer that you want and doesn't always happen when you want it to happen, he might say, hands off, let it go, let me have it for a while. That's a hard thing to hear when you're so used to hands on. He might, he might say, it's not time yet. He might say, walk away from it. He might say, well, and then you got all these, why, why, why I can't, I, I got to, I can't. Watch what David says. David inquired and saying, what, saying, shall I pursue? Yeah, it's interesting because David's a warrior. I mean, that's the first thing. He, shall I pursue? Shall I overtake them? And he answered them. The first thing he says in verse 6, first thing he had to do, after the grieving for his family, his sons and daughters were gone. The first thing that he did, he encouraged himself in the Lord. There comes a point in your life where a worship service won't do it for you. Comes a point in your life where your mama's prayers won't do it for you. Your friend's intercession won't do it for you. Comes a time when the alcohol won't do it for you, the drugs won't do it for you. There comes a time you can't find encouragement anywhere. 
and no one's there to encourage you. I mean, these guys wanted to kill him. He had no one left to encourage him, so he had to encourage himself. What does it mean to encourage yourself in the Lord? You got to say something. So if, so, so if I was coming up to you and I was wanting to encourage you, I'm thinking, man, I really want the 49ers to win tonight. I really want to encourage Come on, guys, you got this. And we get a little chant. I'm going to encourage you. Man, that, that other team, they're nothing. Taylor Swift, she's a loser, man. You guys are so much better than these teams. Man, you got this. You're so much stronger. You're so much faster. You're so much more talented. I mean, you, you, you guys are awesome. You're great. I'm, I'm encouraging you. I'm, I'm going to encourage you. You're going, you're going, I'm going to put you in courage. David had to put himself in courage. You got to put yourself in courage. You may be afraid. You got to put yourself in courage. You may be fearful. You got to put yourself in courage. He encouraged himself. He put himself in courage. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Today, if you would say, how would you, Jim, how would you encourage yourself in the Lord? I just pace this. I would just declare the word. Thank you, Father, that I know you love me. I thank you, Lord, that I know that no matter what sins I've ever committed, that your blood has cleansed me from them. Father, I, I know that even in my failure, you still look down with love for me. Lord, I know that you have equipped me and that you've called me to the kingdom for such a time as this. Lord, I know that I'm not an accident. I just didn't happen to be here in 2024, but you see me and you watch me. Lord, I know that I am the apple of your eye and your word says that my name is engraved on the palm of your hand. Lord, I know there was many times when you could have left me for dead, but you raised me up. Lord, I know when I faced the giant, your hand was there to bring down Goliath. I know, God, when I was tending those sheep, you were with me when the lion and the bear came to take one of the flock. Lord, I know... That many times the actions that I committed, I should have been dead. I should have been in jail. I should have been caught for that. I'm glad nobody knows that. I'm glad I didn't get caught there, Lord. Somehow you kept me. Somehow you hid me. Somehow, God, you, you spare me. Lord, you got me up today. Your word says that you're with me. That you're not going to leave me. That you're not going to forsake me. Your word says that I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. Your Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I thank you, Lord God. It doesn't matter what they said about me. It matters what you've said about me. You live on the inside of me. I'm anointed by your Holy Ghost. I can do all things. I can speak your word. I can move mountains with prayer. I know, God, that I cannot be defeated, not even death itself. I know, Lord, you have a purpose and a plan for my life. I encourage myself in you. The world's gone crazy. I see it falling apart all around me. But you got me here for a reason. You've called me to lead. You've called me to influence. You've called me to stand. You've given me a power. And you've equipped me to resist sin and temptation. You've caused me to rise above where I can speak your word and bring life to the hopeless and the hurting. I encourage myself in the Lord. I've been washed in your blood. Hallelujah. I cannot be defeated. 
you got to say something. Turn to your neighbor and say, say something. Stand in front of your mirror. I, you know, I was talking to my, my son the other day. He was going up against a situation. Joshua, I said, listen, son, here's what you need to do. Go get you a baseball bat and take it out to the tree and just start swinging and say, in the name of Jesus, Satan, you're under my feet. You're, I cannot be defeated. I'm moving forward in what you've called me to do. I'm not backing up. I'm not retreating. I'm not giving up. Sometimes you just got to do something. He says to him, and I'm closing. We'll finish with this. What shall I do? Now look what he says. And David inquired, and God said to him, after he encouraged himself in the Lord, David inquired, shall I pursue the troops? Shall I overtake them? And shall I pursue them? He says to him, he says, and he answered, verse 8. Look where he said, the Lord answered him. And what did he say? He said, pursue. For thou shalt surely overtake them. Oh, I love this part. Without fail, recover all. Let me just stop there for a second. Without fail. You're sitting here this morning. And if God told you to do something and he guaranteed your outcome, would you do it? If God said, I want you to do this, I know it might look hard, I know it might look ugly, I know, I know it may not be, be fun, but listen, there's a victory on the other side of this, there's joy on the other side of this, there's hope, you're going to get back everything, you're going to get back everything that I have for you, you're going to get back everything the enemy's stolen from you, will you, with a, you can do it without fail, would you, how would you go after that? Some people sit in uncertainty. The Bible says, pursue God. The Bible says, as the deer panteth for the water brook, so my soul longs for you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And I'll, I'll, I'll give all these. You know, people pursue in uncertainty don't have staying power. A lot of people start out in this Christian walk, but they go with a sense of uncertainty. And they don't have staying power. They're not certain. I'm guaranteed the win. Why do I serve Jesus? I'm guaranteed the win. There is no failure here. I'm guaranteed. To, what, what am, what's my greatest guarantee? The win that I'm guaranteed the greatest without fail? Death itself, honey. <laughs> death cannot defeat me. I shall live forever in the presence of God himself who has designed me with and for an eternal purpose, not this little blink of a life, this little vapor of a life here. It's eternal. I pursue God because I believe in my heart that I cannot fail. I come to church when I don't feel like it because I believe I cannot fail. 
I read the Bible when it seems very bland to me because I believe that I cannot fail. I pray when I don't want to pray because I believe that I cannot fail. I witness when they make fun of me because I believe that I cannot fail. In my pursuit, I cannot fail. I'm guaranteed a victory. Don't go after God and thinking that you're going to try this thing out. Why did I go to church three times a week? Why did I get baptized? Why didn't I care what everybody else thought of me? Thought I lost my mind and joined a cult. And thought I was crazy and changed my relationships and walked away from every friend that I ever had. Every relationship that I ever had, everything that I built, 22 years on my own, goodbye. Because I knew that I had chosen the right side. Over there, I love you, but it spells failure. Over there, back there, I love you, but it spells defeat and addiction and bondage and captivity. I love you and I'm even somewhat emotionally tied to it and sometimes it even feels good to my flesh but that's a defeated avenue. That's a defeated pursuit. I can pursue that with all my heart and bless God I did for many years and I came up with total failure. Defeat. Man, when I went after God, I went after God. And when I realized this one thing and realized this good, when I realized and I believed that Jesus Christ raised from the dead, I knew it sealed the deal. You cannot fail. Huh. If you're a Christian and you're serving God out of some form of religiosity or some piety or some type of duty or you feel some type of responsibility or you're afraid if you don't you'll go to hell. Listen, you're coming at this thing the wrong way, man. You've joined the side of God because you've joined the side of victory. You've joined Jesus because you've joined the side of victory. You've joined God because you've joined the side of hope and promise and freedom. I'm with God not because I have to and I'm lowing all the way, man. I know what side to be on. I know which team to pick. I know where victory lies. So in that you can pursue as David pursued. And if God told you today, right now, without fail, you're going to be victorious. You're going to accomplish everything that I've called you to do. You're going to have everything that I have for you. You're going to have the relationship that I have for you. You're going to have the job that I have for you. You're going to have the friends that I have for you. You're going to have the family that I have for you. You're going to have everything that I promised you. You're going to have the freedom of heart that I have for you. You're going to have understanding without fail but without fail means nothing if you won't pursue and I'm telling you right now if you pursue God with all your heart you cannot fail it's guaranteed
This is a guaranteed victory, my friend. Pursue God and you will not fail. But if you're pursuing out of a fear of failure, take another dip, man. Go back to the blood. You're going to make it. It's an old saying that the proof of desire is in the pursuit of a thing. If I could say anything, if I could go back to my younger self and I could say anything, I'd say I wish I'd known at 17. I wish I'd known at 12 years old. If I could say, I could say, man, I wish, wish my, wish my family would have, I wish my neighbor would have told me. I wish I'd have known that if I pursued this, if I pursued this thing, if I pursued God, that I cannot fail. Mm. If you're here this morning and you're afraid to fail, listen, he said you're going to, without fail, recover. You're going to overtake your enemy. You're going to recover everything that belongs to you. Listen to me. And listen, God said without failure, this is a guarantee. Will you pursue it? The proof of desire is in the pursuit of a thing. How bad do you want it? How bad do you want to live for God? How bad do you want to walk with Him? How bad do you want to, how bad do you want to hear, well done, a good and faithful servant? How bad do you want to please Him? How bad do you want to live in freedom? How bad do you want the victory? How bad?